Lord God, we know that there is nothing too hard for you, and we're reminded of it in Scripture again and again. Contacts can be renewed after very many years, and the line of faith continues. But it is the line of faith, and we can not predict the twists and turns it will take along the way. And as we come to your word now, we pray that you would take the faith that we have, minimal as it may be, and remind us what a great God you are and what a great thing you have done in sending Jesus. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, do please turn to Mark chapter 10 and verse 32. It's on page 1015. Jesus is getting closer to Jerusalem. He knows it is closer to the end of the story. And so he warns his 12 close followers for a third time about the coming disaster. The Son of Man will be betrayed and tortured and killed. James and John from verse 35 react by thinking of the glory of Jesus' rising. Well, can we sit on either side? There are some ironies in that, because the one who will, ones who will be to either side of Jesus are not his followers, but a couple of thieves. Anyway, Jesus replies, Can you face the cup of God's wrath that I shall drink? And in saying that, he's drawing on the prophet Isaiah. Sure we can. Say James and John, well, I guess, he says, that you will in some measure share that suffering, but it's not for me to allocate places. And all of the others are indignant, not because James and John asked the question, but because they are the ones who wanted to be to left and right. And Jesus finishes by reminding them that while the Gentile rulers may seek power and authority, his followers are not to do not to do so. And the passage ends. And that's about it, isn't it? But no, not really. You know those games where you can take out a letter from a word, you're invited to take a letter from a word and leave a word still standing, and then sometimes another letter. I have a question for you this morning, a bit like those games. How would this passage be different if we took out verse 45. We would still have the prediction of the death and the rising, still the request for a share in Christ's glory, still the anger of the other disciples, still the good advice about the need for humility. But it struck me like a thunderbolt this week. We could miss out verse 45 so easily we would be left with really, really good advice. But Jesus does not come to offer good advice, but a great event, the greatest of events, the giving of his own life upon the cross of Calvary. What connection 
might there be between verse 45 and the rest, given that we could, in a sense, miss it out? It seems to me that verse 45 points us to a particular danger. We may gather, and each one of us may know, that the cross of Christ saves us from sin, its power and its penalty, and we may recognize as well in this passage a call, a command indeed, to live in proper humility. But we can leave the advice disconnected from the event so that the cross just becomes a kind of fact, a statement, a transaction, a truth, a real truth, but that does not relate to what follows from it. Whereas with verse 45, we are invited into the heart, the very heart of God himself. What the cross will be, according to verse 45, is God giving himself, characteristically giving himself, to save us from the sin in which we characteristically put ourselves first. The advice, if you like, is advice that he himself follows to the uttermost, I'm not going to be like those rulers who seek power. I'm going to give myself up in service to death itself. And that will save you from the crippling need to put yourselves first. The cross of Jesus is not an isolated event, distilled off into some ether where it happens and becomes a fact, a fact for which we may be grateful but a kind of distant, far-off fact. It is always located in a particular history. This here, now, in the text. This is for a people under occupation and threat. And that people, who are in fairness desperate, has characteristically reacted by wanting to take power back and to overthrow the occupier. This time it's the Romans it's been others at other times, to overthrow the occupier so they can be the ones in charge once again. And they've been warned. They've been warned that the search to be in power has left them corrupted and distorted. John the Baptist, not the John in this story, John the Baptist came to them and warned them to repent of that desperate search to come out on top. And Jesus has warned them of the need to repent, or God will judge them. Because they're supposed to be different from the Gentiles. But if they will not repent, and everything up to now look, makes it look like they won't, if they will not repent, Jesus will now face the judgment on their behalf. He will exhaust the power of that search to be on top. He will, if you like, repent for them, bearing their sin. And he knows, Jesus, that the impact will be bigger than just for Israel. He uses the language of all humanity when he calls himself the Son of Man. The Son of Man, then, will serve, will undertake the ultimate service and give his life. As a ransom, verse 45, 
and it is perhaps the key word in the passage. Without that word, verse 45 doesn't make sense, and without verse 45, the passage doesn't have any hope. It's just good advice. Good advice that would make us try harder to be more humble and fail and not have an answer when we weren't as humble as we wanted to be. What can we say about Anwen today? Well, we can say that she's Australian, like her parents. We can observe that she's wearing a historic family baptism gown that goes back many generations in Samudu's family. We can say she's cute. What may not be so obvious is that she's a slave. She will grow up and, like all children, give her parents plenty of opportunity to observe that she is a slave, entirely trapped by the desire to put herself first. That is the life of childhood. But we get beyond childhood and we get better at disguising our need to be first. Except when pressures arrive and it rolls straight back and the pressures were certainly arising for those to whom Jesus was speaking. James and John, like the other twelve, Uh, like the other ten, are in an occupied land under enormous pressure. Please, can we be first? Slavery is, of course, our native condition. We are all utterly sold out to the need to put ourselves first, every one of us in the room. Yes, there are rumors of love to sustain us. Valentine's Day is a reminder that we can put another first in some measure, but never reliably, or eternally. And it is only one other. And with that one other, we want to put ourselves first. We don't solve the problem, we simply multiply multiply the people experiencing it. Put me first becomes put us first. There's no answer in the love of Valentine's Day. We are slaves. And Anwen, cute, lovely, gorgeously dressed Anwen, is a prime exhibit. It is the human condition to put ourselves first. And so the solution has to be not simply overthrowing the ones in power so that we really are first. The solution has to be giving up on that whole game. We need someone to cut the chains that bind us as slaves to this desperate condition. And that, my friends, is what the cross of Jesus Christ does by giving himself up to the very consequences of that very condition, others wanting to prove that they are first and him last, Jesus overturns and exhausts the power of that condition so that he absorbs that terrible need in us who are slaves to want to see things reversed and put us first. Many of you will remember Simon Punsonby, who came to do a weekend for us not long ago. He has recently written of the cross that God in Christ enters our world, quote, to rewrite our story, to rescue the drowning, to find the lost, to free the bound, to comfort the broken, to restore the fallen, to enlighten the confused, to build community, to change society and to recreate creation itself. I'm going to read that again. To rewrite our story, to rescue the drowning, to find the lost, 
to free the bound, to comfort the broken, to restore the fallen, to enlighten the confused, to build community, to change society, and to recreate creation itself. That's what he's done for you and for me. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it wonderful? Well, not necessarily. Not for all. There's a very odd reference in this passage. Look at verse 32, if you would. They are on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading in the way, and the disciples were astonished. It means startled, caught off guard, unsettled. While crowds following were afraid. Why? Because, as we hit verse 32, Jesus has just said one version of exactly the same thing he's going to go on to say in the passage for today. We've been up to verse 32 with the story of the rich man not wanting to give up his riches, and Jesus says it is harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. The rich will be nowhere. And there in verse 31 is the principle, the first will be last, and the last first. Jesus is subverting the very basis of society. Society then and now depends on the need, the desire to rise to the top and to be first. Jesus says that whole structure is going to be overthrown. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? They didn't think it was. They found it a matter of astonishment and fear because the pull of the world is astonishingly strong. And so it is with the cross. Any serious engagement with the cross means everything that Simon Punsonby said, comforting the broken, freeing the bound, releasing the captives, recreating creation. But that is not good news if you would rather stick to what you know, and most always will. And I say that not because it's merely a clue, though it is, to why the news, the good news of Jesus, does not attract as many as we might think. But because we need to face the appeal, the enormous magnetic pull. We can gather and sing songs, and all that Simon says there is just fantastic, and it's meat and drink, and we love it, and we think, yes, that's what the cross of Jesus means to me. But those who were afraid that day, those who were astonished that day, were facing the tremendous magnetic pull of a world that did not want to know about this Jesus, did not want its fundamental values overturning. And why would it? We are bound, and we cannot free ourselves. Jesus did it for us. But we must not be surprised that most do not want such a radical freedom. Because freed from that slavery, we face a call to live so radically differently in a world that's going to carry on going on its way, that it's not surprising most will not dare to do it. The 
question provoked by the passage is, will we dare to do it, to do the different that the good news calls us to? We had friends uh, visiting this weekend uh, with their children. Uh, We went to Roxham Barns, uh, which many of you will know, so that the children could feed the lambs and the goats and all the other animals. Uh, They have a system of going in and coming out through the gate there so that you don't have to keep paying as you go through, back to the car or whatever it may be. And so they use those paper wristbands that you get at concerts and other events. I don't get to wear those very often, and I haven't quite learned their secrets, so I tried to take mine off. It's only paper, but it's surprisingly tough paper, and it will tighten up to a string rather than let you get it off. I did the sensible thing in the end, having tugged at it for a while and felt a bit stupid, and indeed, yes, Mary, I cut it with some scissors. I stand before you a man freed from the orange band. (laughs) But I also stand before you as we do each for others, as a slave like Anwen, freed from the chains that bind me to sin, to putting self first. I wonder what those of you thinking of Valentine's Day gifts have managed for each other. Chocolates, roses... Jesus comes into our lives with love and with the most loving gift, a pair of chain cutters to cut the iron cuffs of our slavery to me-firstism. John and James needed that. So do we. Without him, we are doomed and damned to live in a world that can only ever rise to good advice. But with him, we, with all the baptized, are freed and saved. Let's pray. And as I finish these prayers, Alison will come forward and take our prayers forward again. Almighty God, More than we ourselves, you know our need of Jesus. You know our native condition of slavery. And in your love, you have determined from all eternity to give yourself for our freedom. We heed the warning of those others who are astonished and afraid. We ask the courage to accept the cutting of our chains so that we might live in the courage of following Jesus to serve others and finally to stop putting ourselves first. Amen.